This is the Mo Money Podcast with your host, Jessica Morehouse. Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of the Mo Money Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited for this episode because we are talking about education, post-secondary education. We all know that gone are the times where you can just graduate high school and get a good job. You cannot do that anymore. Sorry, that just does not exist. You have to further your education either by going to a technical school, university, college, whatever. And even still, it's not very easy to get a job, am I right? But no matter what, we still have to go to school. And so today I'm talking to Brad Baldridge. He's a financial planner at Baldridge College Solutions. And his whole thing is teaching parents about how they can... make smart decisions when it comes to paying for their children's education, finding ways that they can save, you know, when it comes to tax credits or grants, scholarships, everything like that. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about ways to save and how to be smart with your money so you don't graduate with $50,000 in debt. It's an epidemic and, you know, something needs to change. And before the rules change, it's best to just do what you can do to prevent getting into debt, you know, for uh, higher education. So I hope you enjoy this episode right now. Thank you, Brad, for joining me on the show today. I'm excited to talk to you because post-secondary and finance is something that's really close to my heart, actually. So, All right. Well, it's great to be here. Yeah. Um, So let's kind of start from, you know, your background and how you got into this. You have your own business helping people figure out, you know, strategies and just really smart ways to plan for post-secondary college university. How did you get into that line of work and start your own business? Yeah. So I started as a financial planner. So, and I've been, you know, I guess working in in financial planning since 94. Mm -hmm. And what you learn as a financial planner when you, you know, you study the CFP and other things is kind of the math of, saving for college. In other words, mm-hmm. if you have a two-year-old and you save 400 and some dollars a month, then you're going to have this big pot of money when the kid is 18 and mm-hmm. life will be good. The challenge, of course, is that occasionally I'd run into a client who would, would say things like, well, I've got a 17-year-old. And mm-hmm. then when you do the math, it just doesn't work. You know, If you need to save $4,626 a month to get where you're going, and, <laughs> and most parents yeah. look at you and say, well, that ain't going to happen. So, yeah. But then I realized that there were lots of families out there that didn't have a big pot of money to pay for college, yet they were making mm-hmm. it happen somehow. And yeah. I yeah. started studying what was going on and realized that there's financial aid. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of unique things. I've got, I got some training from some other advisors that were doing some specific college planning. Mm-hmm. And I launched a second business where I helped families figure out how to pay for college. And my focus generally is late stage college planning. If you've got a 17-year-old or you are a 17-year-old and you're trying to figure it all out, whether you, you know, it's loans or financial aid, need-based aid, merit aid, you know, picking the right school, saving and investing, tax planning for mom and dad, mm-hmm. it's all kinds of things that can help defer the cost. And what I realize is most families were doing one or two things well and probably three or four things wrong. Mm-hmm. And with good planning, if you put it all together, it can make a you know, a pretty substantial difference. Mm-hmm. And, and I bet that's kind of like most uh, 
parents out there. I mean, especially for mine, um, you know, I am the middle of uh, three daughters and we didn't have a college fund at all. We, you know, my parents got married young and um, they were broke. They said they didn't have any money when they just started out and started a family really young to like start saving for our education. And so when it came down to, you know, I'm 17 graduating high school, that's when I'm like, oh, now what? Oh, crap. So I, I think you, you know, really educating parents and um, their children on this is fantastic. Right. Absolutely. And and it worked well, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Again, if you're a mm-hmm. current parent of a 17-year-old and mm-hmm. you say, well, when I went to college, well, exactly. when you went to college, it was very different. <laughs> very di- Even like 10 years ago, like I talked to my older sister who's only three years older than me, but the cost of her tuition was so much lower than mine. And it was mm-hmm. just a three-year gap. It's insane. Yes, absolutely. It, it used to be, and that's, and I think that's where a lot of families kind of roll into this and saying, well, we'll worry about college when college gets here. Mm-hmm. And that worked 10 and 20 years ago when students could, you know, with a good summer job and a little bit of a student loan, they could make it work. Um, it just doesn't work that way anymore. Most students aren't going to get a summer job and make twenty or thirty or forty thousand mm-hmm. like college costs these days. Exactly. Like for you know, in my experience, I worked two years in high school, saved up all that money, didn't spend a dime, and I mean, I didn't really need to. I still lived with my parents. Obviously, I still lived with my parents throughout my degree, and I worked about like twenty to thirty hours a week at a part time job. And then I still had to get a student loan in my last year of $5,000. But I also took five years to do my degree because I can honestly, I don't think I could have afforded to do a four-year degree. I had to do kind of an extra year just to, you know, spread that money around. So yeah, it's not as easy. And I, I kind of tend to think, you know, if I eventually have a family, obviously I want my kids to um, work and, you know, get that experience and also, you know, just, you know, be, um not kind of, you know, I don't want to bankroll them and, and just pay for their school and they not worry about everything. I think it's really important for um, students to work if they can in high school and university, but I know they won't be able to fund their, you know, tuition. Like I, I can't even imagine what the cost will be at that point. Right. I mean, right now the statistics are you know, the average public school is twenty four, twenty five thousand. Average private school is about 42,000. Now, per year. Per year. And that's total cost of attendance. So that's tuition, room and board, books, fees, mm-hmm. you know, what a typical college student spends in a year. That's insane. So I, I just can't imagine the people that, you know, they really don't have any other option but to get a student loan and they end up going to a private university. I mean, they're going to be spending the next 20 years paying that off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've seen families graduating, you know, where the a young couple where they both have fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars in student loan and and are just starting out and don't have that great of paying jobs. And I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, like a pharmacist or doctors where they have hundreds of thousands of debt. I mean the, mm-hmm. the flip side of that of course is they have a strong income so mm-hmm. they can, you know, more likely pay the debt, but it's still you know a yeah, bigger challenge a for yeah. most most kids now. And I guess what I you know, and why is college so expensive? Well, mm-hmm. because it's worth it, and the colleges raise their prices, and people still come. And do you find that because more and more people are going to post secondary, 
that's part of the reason. Like it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, in my view as a millennial, if you want a decent paying job and a, a career, you have to go to, you have to get a degree. So that's going to be part of it. Yeah, no, I think there's a challenge right now because there's not a lot of um, paths out there. Mm-hmm. But the typical employer out there, you know, take a, I don't know, some of our local employers, a Harley Davidson or a mm-hmm. GE Medical or for a lot of their, especially their white collar type work, they're going to say you must have a degree. Yeah, yeah. And they realize that your degree is probably not taught you anything about an MRI machine <laughs> or a motorcycle. Nope. <laughs> but they put that in there because now there's a lot of high school graduates that don't know how to read. So mm-hmm. it's a bar that they can put in. They don't get sued if they say that. Yeah. So they raise the bar for everyone, realizing that they're still going to do some on-the-job training. But as long as they get enough qualified applicants, mm-hmm. there's no reason for them not to do that. Yeah. And and also in my experience, it's you know one thing to... Uh, go to university and get that degree. But for me to actually get a job, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do after university. I went to um, a university and got a a degree in filmmaking because I wanted to be a filmmaker and realized, you know, that's not really the best path for me. And so I had to go back to school. And that's another kind of reality that I think a lot of us are millennials are realizing. And, you know, my uh, younger sister is in her last semester of university. And yeah, she's going to have a, a bit of a, a tough time, I think, realize, you know, she's also doing an arts degree. I mean, it's, it's tough. You you need to, to get a good job. You have to get a degree and then you may even have to go back to school. Yeah, absolutely. There, I was at a presentation recently and they talked about how most graduates today can't really think of it like Again, mm-hmm. that it was 10 and 20 years ago where mm-hmm. I've got my education, now I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I've got my education for now. I'll go to work for a while, but I'll probably need to come back for education. Mm-hmm. And some colleges now are starting to you know, propose or think about what education might look like in the future. And Stanford did a study, I think it was, mm-hmm. and they mentioned that they might set up a system or they could set up a system where you... Once you're accepted, you get six years of education, and mm-hmm. maybe it's a two-year, two years, and then back to work, or maybe it's a four-year degree, and then you work for a while and come back for a master's, or and you can kind of divide it up however you want, and just over your lifetime, you're welcome to come back and for six years once you've been accepted, and there's you know, there'd be a lot less of the, you know the the rules and regulations mm-hmm. about, well, a four-year degree, you start here, you go for four years, then you graduate. It might be yeah. two years and then work in between and internships and a much more complicated system. Yeah. Uh, more flexible system, I guess, might be a better word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that might be something that happens. But so let's kind of get into um, what are some of the um, things that you see parents or their children doing that are kind of holding them back to what are they kind of doing wrong? What are some of the most common mistakes that um, people are doing wrong that aren't kind of doing them any favors that may, you know, um, put them into debt or, you know, not prepare them for um, the financial um, aspects of post-secondary education? Right. I think some of the, you know, the big mistakes out there um, would be, uh, for example, not understanding need-based aid. Um, I've had a lot of families tell me that they're going to qualify for aid, and when we do the math, they don't. 
Mm-hmm. Or the conversely, I've had a lot of families say, well, there's no way we're going to get aid. And they, in fact, will qualify. So mm-hmm. I think how need-based aid is calculated and how, and how it works for most families, you really need mm-hmm. to understand it for your particular situation. Mm-hmm. It's basing it on what you know, your brother-in-law did or your, the, the family down the street. Chances are your situation is different enough that you really need to figure it out for yourself. Because I, like I said, I've seen families earning you know seventy five thousand dollars a year, um, not qualify for need based aid, and I've seen mm-hmm. families earning three hundred thousand a year qualify. So how, how is that possible? Well, I'm just curious. It's not entirely based just on how much did you earn. It's also no. based on how many students the parents are supporting, right. uh, the price of the schools you're considering. Mm-hmm. Uh, other assets and resources that go into the calculation. Okay, um, okay. And then other awards like need-based scholarships and so forth would also be part of the puzzle. Right. So it's not as simple. Now, granted, if you're going to the low-cost local state university and there's only one student, you're less likely to qualify for aid than if mom and dad have three kids and they're going to the expensive private schools. Interesting. Um, but where that line is is different for everyone, so you really need to you know, understand what you're getting into and, and work that through. And by this financial aid that you're talking about, you're talking about, you're not talking about a loan. You're talking about, um, like a, a bursary or a grant or something like that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. um, I would say that as far as what's awarded, it's grants and scholarships, mm-hmm. which would be money mm-hmm. that's not paid back. It would also yeah. potentially be loans it could be work study, could be you know low interest loans or deferred loans. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all the kinds of uh, financial aid package includes lots of different pieces, mm-hmm. um, and then many families you know just take the whole package. But you don't have to in most cases. In most cases, you can say, well, I'll take this grant and this grant obviously because it's free money, and I'll take yeah. the scholarship. But as far as the work, you know, I, I'm going to take work elsewhere, so I don't want that job, and I'm not interested in this loan this year. Maybe I'll take it next year. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess figuring out what's available to you and understanding the process, um, because college is getting so expensive, most people are going to use some form of aid um, to make it all work. Absolutely. I mean, for myself, I think the big reason I was able to afford a uh, university right off the bat, not just, you know, working was I got a scholarship for my first year that paid my first year's tuition. So that was very helpful. That was a, a big weight off my shoulders. And I, I don't know if I, it would have been tricky. I would have had to get a larger loan and more loans if I, if that weren't uh, possible. And I'm glad I did my research because uh, there's a lot of people that I know that were in my, you know, high school grade that probably could have gotten grants or scholarships, but they just didn't take the time to really look into it. Mm-hmm. And it's free money. It was free, thousands of dollars of free money. Right. Come on. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's another area. Um, for a lot of families, it's, it's a challenge, again, because if you think back to how busy you were your senior year, oh yeah, a lot of families talk about scholarships, but when it's all done, they don't actually do anything about scholarships because... Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, there's a lot of parents out there, and if you're a parent, you know, mm-hmm. please avoid this uh, <laughs> this cliche. But where you essentially tell your student, you know what, you're in charge of scholarships. Go, you know, go find a bunch of scholarships and win a win a bunch of money for college. That's your mm-hmm. job. A typical 17 year old is going to say, okay, I understand it's my job, but I have no idea how to do my job. Yeah, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do it. So where I've seen scholarships be successful 
it's a family affair. Mom and oh, dad are sure. involved. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they're not writing the essays or doing that, that type of thing, but they certainly can do some online research to find the scholarships or they can collect the envelopes and stamps for the old style scholarships that are still paper and they can, you know, keep things organized and proofread an essay or do whatever else needs to be done and kind of, you know, or take chores off the student for every Sunday afternoon so they can work on it if that's what needs mm-hmm. to be done. Yeah. Um, but again, for a lot of times, I think families really need to understand. Now, the flip side of that is some families will work on it and ultimately it's kind of a waste of time because they're not going to do it well. Mm-hmm. You know, the student's not motivated to do it. So you really need to come up with a good plan for what makes sense for your family. I've seen, you know, mm-hmm. the wins I've seen out there. I've had a couple families, you know, one in particular, they applied to 39 scholarships. They won seven of them for $39,000. Wow. wow. That's worth it. That sounds like a lot of work, though. <laughs> exactly. How long does it take to do 40 scholarship applications? It was, yeah. uh, you know, it took them, you know, better part of a year to work from mm-hmm. when they started to when they finished. Now, granted, it was all worth it. I mean, that mm-hmm. was a lot of money and it's a lot more than the student could have earned any other way. Yeah. Um, now, the flip side of that, like I said, is there's a lot of families that talk about it, but they never get around to doing it. And I think mm-hmm. the right answer for many families is somewhere in between those two, where you find the five to eight scholarships that are really a good fit for your student yep. and you work really hard on those and then you say, okay, that, that's what we're going to do and that's it and we're done. And now we can, you know, with a clear conscience say, we've done our scholarship bit and let's focus on tax planning or saving and investing or mm-hmm. having the student work or all the other ways that you potentially could pay for college mm-hmm. beyond scholarships. And that kind of uh, makes me think, too. I remember when I was in high school, I wanted to apply to a bunch of different uh, universities, honestly, just to have the prestige of being able to say, oh, look where I got into. And my mom told me, you know, you have to pay (laughs) to apply. It's not free. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think some colleges might be free, but most of them aren't. You have to pay a fee. You know, there's the cost of um, mail and all that kind of stuff. And so I ended up, you know, just rethinking my plan because I knew I wasn't going to go to a a school um, outside of uh, my city. So I just applied to the ones that I knew that I would, you know, actually go to if I uh, got in and and that saved me a lot of money and time or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so I know that's something that you've uh, uh, kind of preach is choosing schools don't just kind of a, a, apply to wherever but be strategic in what schools you apply for absolutely and i think there's not only apply to the to the right schools but know ahead of time what you're getting into yeah um again another story i have mm-hmm. families every year in my office really late in the game you know end of senior year and they say mm-hmm. things like well we applied to these five or six schools and the first three we were denied, and this one we were waitlisted. And the one school that we have left is really, really expensive. What are we going to do? <laughs> and of course, the answer is you're going to write big checks or yeah. delay school for a year or find a school that'll take your application really, really late, which generally isn't the, you know, the high end schools, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, or go to community college for a year and then try again next year. But whatever it is, it's not a good answer. You know, the much yeah. better answer is do a better job a year ago when you put mm-hmm. your list together and really understand, you know, what what you're likely to pay at a school. And I think that's where I help a lot of families and I'm, you know, working on put that stuff on my website as well. But how to figure out how much you're actually going to pay mm-hmm. ahead of time so that 
you look down the list, and not only are they a good fit, you know, f- from a student, you know, socially and academically for the student, but they're also a good fit financially. Where if they are an expensive school and you can't afford the expensive price, are you likely to get a merit scholarship or some sort of need based scholarship? And if you know that, then you know you're, you know, although the sticker price is fifty thousand, your likely cost is more like twenty five. Oh, well mm-hmm. then maybe that, you know, twenty five at this private school is about the same as twenty five at this public school. Yeah. So um, I that's something that's always kind of uh interested me is so in Canada we you know, there's a lot of different universities, but we don't have the same um we don't have like the Ivy League thing that the US does. So I mm-hmm. know, you know, just from watching like movies and TV, that's how I know about um the US university uh system, but you know, it's very prestigious and it could help your career if you do get into an Ivy League school and you might have a harder time in your career if you don't get to one of these kind of, you know, name brand schools. Is mm-hmm. is this something that people it's one of those things where do people want to go to these schools just for the name of it and could sometimes it, it not be actually good for the career at all because you know they could get into a whack of debt because the school is too expensive or it may not have anything to do with the career that they want mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it, certainly there are situations where people pay f- you know they pay for the name brand it's no mm-hmm. different than buying a purse right it, yeah if it's got the right name on it it's going to cost a thousand dollars and it holds your yeah. stuff pretty much the same as any other purse <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> but you bought it because it had the name on it and yeah. a lot of times you bought it and it's got the name on it and you want other people to know it has the name on it yeah there's yeah. that kind of thing going on with college where people want to say i graduated from here or even parents saying my kid got accepted here my kid's going to yeah. graduate from there um, now the flip side to that is, and sometimes, you know, if you want to be president, if you pay attention, <laughs> you'll notice that a lot of the presidents come from pretty high end name brand, expensive schools. Yeah. And that's, you know, and if those are the types of aspirations and then go ahead and go for it. Mm-hmm. But another important thing to realize is, especially at the highest high end schools, the Ivy league, um, mm-hmm. they have a lot of aid and a lot of. So if you can't afford their high price, a lot of times a Harvard or Yale or some of the Ivy Leagues, their net cost will be less than your local state school. Oh, really? That's now, interesting. they're extremely selective and your odds oh, of, of getting accepted are very, very small. But if you've got the chops and you're able to get accepted at a Harvard, mm-hmm. don't shy away from the Ivy League. And, and when I say Ivy League, there's also probably 20 other schools that fall into that camp, you know, Stanford and MIT mm-hmm. and... Caltech and University of Chicago, and, mm-hmm. and then you maybe move down to Rice and a couple other. But the schools at the very top, they've got some endowments, they've got aid, and for the mm-hmm. right kids, especially, the price could come through where you know you don't want to cross that one off the list just because it has a high sticker price because your net price might be substantially less. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might even be one thing I think is would it be worth it to go to a non-Ivy League school for your um, bachelor's degree, but then go to one of those kind of name brand schools for your master's to actually really progress if you want to, you know, be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that a lot. So Mm -hmm. um, especially if your career is going to require an advanced degree, if you're going on to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. right? Once you do your undergrad and you go to medical school, nobody's going to care where you did your undergrad. 
Yeah, And they're barely going to care where you did your MD. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, When's the last time you walked up to your doctor and said, well, no, you can't treat me because you went to Harvard. I don't like Harvard (laughs) or whatever. You know, pick a school, right? It just doesn't happen that way. The reality of it is it might help you in your first job. It might help you in various ways. Mm-hmm. I think the the much stronger thing is a good strong alumni network. Yep. Is what mm-hmm. potentially you're getting at some of these schools. Now oh, those strong alumni networks are available at a lot of places. And um uh, you know some of the work that I've done is um and some you know podcast interviews I've talked to a lot of people that say things like going to school on purpose and taking advantage of what's there. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. what school you're at. Most people don't take take advantage of the you know, the alumni office, the placement office, the student services offices that are available, all the various help and career advancement and all kinds of things that not only can you take advantage of now, but further into your career. I mean, if you stay actively involved in the alumni networks and that kind of stuff, that, um, and mm-hmm. some colleges foster that better than others, but most colleges have realized that that's a value that they can add. So, but you got to mm-hmm. plug into it. They, yeah. You know, they try and keep track of where you are and keep you involved. But if you don't play your part, you exactly. know, they're not going to you know, be able to hook you up as far as job opportunities, et cetera, if they don't even know where you are anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, because you mentioned it briefly, was uh, one thing that you suggested, something to do with um, taxes. So what what are some of the strategies that you have to help save people money when it comes to taxes. Right. So there's a lot of tax breaks that are associated with higher education. Again, because mm-hmm. government is trying to encourage us to save as an example. So they offer college savings plans where we get some tax breaks of various types. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you a tax break if you actually pay tuition. So <laughs> you can get it. It's the opportunity credit. So yeah. it's a $2,500 credit if you pay $4,000 of tuition for one of your dependents. So if you're... Um, you know, a lot of times it's parents paying for the student and that's yeah. how they get the credit. But if you're an independent student going back to school or something, uh, you know, adult learner or whatever, you might be able to take the credit for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's student loan interest is deductible. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's lots of ways that you can kind of leverage your tax savings. And again, it's not going to pay the whole bill, but if you could save a couple thousand dollars in taxes a year, yeah, and it does make a difference. It, it makes a big difference, especially mm-hmm. if you start talking about families where they've got three or four kids and they're going to be dealing with college. You know, it sounds like your parents, as an example, yep. you know, have been dealt with college for the last five or 10 or 15 years, depending yeah. on how spread out the kids were. But, you know, as you're in that situation, making sure you get all your tax breaks, you know, two or $3,000 a year times 15 years, that really adds up. Absolutely. Yeah. Um what um i'm curious what other things that you do you most commonly tell people to do to get started you know today obviously starting early is probably the best thing that anyone can do but you know for the kind of late starters like you deal with what are some other things that you would suggest that they um do to right. save money yeah so again i try and divide the concept into early stage planning and late stage planning so mm-hmm. Late stage planning is you have a high school student or you are a high school student and you're trying to figure it all out. So are we going to qualify for need-based aid or merit aid? Are we going to, you know, what schools are we going to visit? What what are we going to do about our testing? There's all kinds of stuff you've got to work on. 
once you hit sophomore, junior year until you're off to college. That's mm-hmm. late stage planning. Mm-hmm. Early stage planning is you've got a two-year-old at home, you know. So yeah. some of the millennials that, you know, and your, your, yeah. your typical friends, you know, they got a they're starting to have those kids, yeah. And they're saying, okay, should we be saving for college? And I have a hard time answering that question. I don't know if you should save and invest early so that you have a big pot of money for college. Mm-hmm. Um, by what you do need to do, in my opinion, I guess, is to get on a good, solid financial footing, no matter what, so that when college gets here. If you need to, you can say, well, I'm not going to save so much for retirement. But I did a good job in the last 15 years, so I've got mm-hmm. a big retirement nest egg started. So if I you know, slack off for five years while I deal with college, mm-hmm. I can still retire. Or I've got extra money socked away. I've got a good emergency reserve. I've got mm-hmm. extra assets. If I chose to use them for college, I could. If I don't want to use them for college, I don't have to. Um, but just making sure that you're, you know, Getting on a good, solid financial footing earlier again mm-hmm. because college is very expensive. Whether or not you're going to have to pay for it, and that, and I think college is going to change. I guess that's yeah, that's the biggest challenge I have. If you've got a two year old and you're going to save for college, there's a good chance in 15 years that college is going to look different. Mm-hmm. I don't know how or why or exactly what the yeah. details are going to be, but it's probably going to be different. It's probably going to be really different. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's already changed so much since, you know, from when my parents went to post-secondary to when I, so I can't imagine what it'll look like in another 30 years. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I guess circling back to your question then, as far as what people need to do, if you're early stage, like I said, you know, clean up your debt, live within your means, start saving. So you have some reserves, you know, Figure out what's important. If college is mm-hmm. going to be important to you and you want to, you know, I've got a lot of parents that say, you know, we're making college is number one. We'll cancel mm-hmm. vacations. We'll delay our retirement. We'll do whatever we need to do to make college happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if that, you know, talk with your spouse. If that's the kind of mentality you have, well, then start, you know, build your financial future based on that theory. If you're on the other hand, you're saying, well, We'll probably have to help, but right now we've got other focuses. Um, plan that way, and yeah. but then once you get there, then really, you know, work hard to understand what your options are. It's you know, mm-hmm. again, just like planning for a vacation or something, yeah. right? If I told you you get, you get the next uh, two weeks off and you can do whatever you want, and I'll pay for it, you say, mm-hmm. "Oh boy, let's start planning." You know, I want to go to Europe. I think how am I going to get there? Oh, I'm going first class. What else can I think? Right. You'd really plan it out to make, you know, you'd have a great time. Well, college is kind of the same thing. It's like, well, what do you want out of it? How do you want to make it happen? If you Mm -hmm. plan it, chances are it'll come in at a lower cost, just like your vacation. If you plan well and, you know, shop around for your airline tickets and know what you're getting into and that, you know, if you realize the train in Europe is cheaper this way instead of that way, Mm -hmm. the only way you know is to do the legwork. And that's absolutely that's kind of how college works. The only way you know for sure is to do the legwork. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll go down a path and it'll be a dead end for you. Mm-hmm. But you won't know until you've kind of looked under every rock, so to speak. Exactly. So the key is to do your research and to have a plan. Yes. <laughs> Those are great nuggets of wisdom. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I I know that uh, the listeners are going to get a lot out of uh, all of your expert advice. All right. Well, thanks for having me. 
And that was episode 47 of the Mo Money Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you really liked it and got a lot out of it. Make sure to check out the show notes for a bunch of resources that I'm going to include of Brad's um, because he just knows so freaking much about the post-secondary game, which I love. So make sure to check them out at jessicamorehouse.com slash 47. Um, And also make sure to check out Brad's blog and podcast, both aptly named Taming the High Cost of College. You can, of course, check out his podcast on iTunes, but I will include links to everything in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 47. And again, if you love this episode, which I hope you did, please leave me an iTunes review. I love reading them. I'll read them out, out loud on a future episode. And it just makes me feel really good inside. So please do that. Otherwise, I'll see you back here next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.